welcome to another episode of Tied Together. I'm your host, Katrina Logie, and we're going to be talking about product management tools and digital, and how digital is changing the space of how to make the use of product management and you know get product feedback basically for your customers in software for growing SaaS companies. Matt is the CEO of User Voice, all the way from North Carolina. And welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks, Katrina. It is great to be here. And let's talk about, Matt, your background, because you were originally an engineer. And then, you know, 2015, was it that you became the CEO of User Voice? Yeah, well, I joined User Voice yeah, in 2015 as the VP of engineering. My, my background's in computer science, where I, you know, studied in undergrad and grad and spent quite a long time developing software that transitioned into engineering leadership. Uh, and having worked at SaaS companies where uh, the engineering team is kind of subject to the whims of good product management, we're being asked to build software based on their research on what customers are telling them. I was a little bit dissatisfied with some of the answers I was getting when I asked why we were being asked to build software. So user voice providing a platform to really give a company the ability to, to capture a bunch of feedback, associate that with who's saying it and why they're saying it and really dig into it was very appealing to me from an engineering perspective. And over the, the course of several years at user voice, we've spun off products and I ended up uh, taking the CEO role to try to keep as modern a relationship between a company and their customers as we possibly can to give customers of ours and you know just the product management world in general a leg up in making sure that they can understand the problems that they're trying to solve. Right. Okay. So you know what what do you think the issues that you're you're solving by having user voice for companies? Yeah, there's a huge problem in the paradox of choice that every product manager faces. Any, any number of different directions they could go and any number of different ways their objectives can be set by the organization that they're going through. They might have a very vocal CEO saying, I want us to build X, Y, or Z next. They might say, we need to be reactive to the competition. And, and there's a big disconnect between that and what are the actual problems you're trying to solve for your customer. And we always try to, to get people centered back into the notion of being oriented around problems and making sure that those problems are real. Those problems are hard to solve in the first place as a company is trying to achieve product market fit. But the difficulty of that doesn't change as time goes on. The conditions of the market change, competition shows up, people's needs change, et cetera. So this ongoing notion of maintaining product market fit really needs to be oriented around customers and their problems. So all the tools that we produce and all the research that we do are, are oriented around making sure that companies are solving actual problems that are valuable to the market they're trying to sell them to. Right. Because what are the common problems, you know, in terms of companies is, you know, obviously that we talk about teams working in silos and not communicating. So you're giving, you know, a voice from the outside and helping them communicate within. Yeah, I think most most organizations are fairly diligent within their own teams, a sales team, a marketing team, a product management team about doing some research and getting in touch with customers, but they don't often share that. They kind of view that as their own domain. When 
a marketing team does market research, they may only be studying how to communicate what value their company provides. But in that data, there's really interesting information about what the product or service itself ought to be. It's true for sales. It's true for product management. So when you can take all that information and make it available through whatever process your company has, whether it's software like ours or any other, sharing that information, I would say down to the individual contributor level, can only yield good results. People might get sparked with a good idea in engineering based on something they read in market research or in a closed loss note from a sales team. So we really try to encourage the breaking down of silos when it comes to any kind of research information, because I think that all research that a company does is really product research in the end. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. So who are your clients? I mean, give some examples of, of who you're working on. Sure. So our customers fall into a few different camps. Unsurprisingly, companies that are just getting started, they maybe just released their first product. They've just attained product market fit. They're a little bit constrained in resources. They don't have a bunch of engineers yet. They don't have a bunch of capital yet. So they need to be very deliberate about the decisions they make. So they want to gain a higher level of confidence that improvements that they're going to make in their product are, are taking them in the right direction. So they may use a, a product like ours to help do that. On the other end of the spectrum, very, very large companies, Adobe is, is an example, huge user bases across the world, across a very large product portfolio with a very large budget to manage. That's a place where thinking about reading product feedback one by one is just an intractable, impossible thing to do. So you need tools to help boil that down into something that you can get the signal out of all the noise and, and make some decisions and propose that up to people and make sure that it's related to the goals of the company. I think the one of the pieces of advice I give to smaller companies as they come in is to make sure that their company has articulated clear goals. And that really helps you make a lot more sense of the feedback that you get. How do you associate an individual telling you, hey, I really want your product to do this for me? How can you tie that into revenue growth? How do you tie that into higher retention levels? How do you tie it to breaking into a new market or a new segment? That's something that, that software tools are really uniquely helpful to pull together. Mm -hmm. So how do you come in and solve uh, problems when they're sort of building a product? I mean, you know, how do, how do, how do they make use of your platform? It, it starts with making sure that every piece of feedback that you get is captured wherever it may happen. And it, it happens all over the place. It happens while someone is attending a virtual conference and there's a chat room going on and someone says like, hey, do you guys do this? Like that question alone is feedback. It's an opportunity that someone unsolicited is looking for you to potentially solve for them. It comes in through support tickets. It comes in through email requests of a customer success team. It comes in during sales demos. So we, first of all, try to make sure that everyone on an internal team is armed with the easy ability to capture feedback and make sure that it gets sent to the right people at the right time. We also make sure that feedback can be captured directly from customers and prospects through in-app widgets, through portals, through social media listening, any place where you might want to gather that feedback and absorb it. Once that's all centralized, having software tools that deduplicate you know, suggest, hey, these are thematically kind of the same thing. You might want to lump them together for analysis. 
all of that's, you know, just very basic data hygiene and, you know, being on top of your game to make sure you capture it. The place where I think things get a little bit more complicated, a little bit more powerful is when you start associating data to the people who are providing feedback. Are they a current customer or not? If they are a current customer, what kind of what kind of spend do they have with you? How strategic of a customer are they for you? Um, all of this is just segmentation information that you want to be able to associate with people. When you can associate all that information with people, then you can start slicing and dicing the feedback that you get by your goals. So if I say, I want more enterprise business, okay, what are our enterprise customers telling us? And I can use that as a proxy for what other enterprise customers might want. Likewise, if a deal was being worked by a sales team and it wasn't successful, like we lost the deal, what did they ask for? What were the things that were missing? It's not to say you should be reactive to that. This is not like a a transactional system where someone asks for something and you go do it, but it, it unearths the question. Should we look into this problem? Is it ubiquitous across a bunch of people that we're trying to sell to and we're losing the deals? Is it something that is beloved by our existing customer base and we should lean into it more? So by continually making sure that all of this information is in one place and making sure that it's augmented with as much extra data as you can, it just gives you a lot of power at your fingertips when you do go to do research and decide what your next quarter is going to look like, your next sprint is going to look like, or if you're getting into annual strategic planning, where the biggest opportunities lie. Mm-hmm. Really, we only offer one product. It's it's a platform for feedback management and analysis. There's a, a variety of different ways that you would do that. Specifically, we, we integrate with all the places where your customer-facing teams are, whether it's Zendesk on a support front or CRM tools like Salesforce on a sales front. We make sure that you can capture feedback in those places. We also have a, a kind of universally useful tool that plugs in on any browser-based application that just gives you a sidebar to capture feedback. So if you're in a homegrown system or if you're near email or something like that, we can we can let you highlight, automatically scan for who provided the feedback, pull it in and, and send it into the system altogether. On a second layer, we're integrating with the data that's coming in from customer relationship management tools like Salesforce to pull in all the account data, associate the people with the accounts and what their value is, what their revenue is, And that's true even if they've churned or if they were a prospect. So letting you say, all right, here are all the people that that said no to us. There was this theme. And you can decide, you know, is that something that we want to go after? Is that a market that we want to try to capture or not? Mm -hmm. Strategically, we also try to encourage people to kind of lean into where they're doing well. I think uh, if you've ever run across the book StrengthsFinder, there's a philosophy that, you know, you should take people's strengths and make the most of them rather than trying to make them something they're not, a similar philosophy can be applied to products where, you know, do what you're good at and get even better at it. Make yourself indispensable to the people that love you uh, rather than trying to be a kind of half-baked solution to something that's peripheral to what you do. So by having CRM data pulled into place and we can say like, these are the customers that love you. And if you're augmenting that with NPS or CSAT scores, you know, of the people that like you the most, what do they really like? And making sure that you're you're building on those strengths that you already have. Mm-hmm. So, because yeah, what, I mean, what would you say are the common sort of problems that people make when they're building products? Oh gosh, that's a very big, <laughs> very very big question. But I think at the 
the top of them is, is not validating the problem that they're trying to solve at the core of things. Like a lot of people get fixated on solutions mm-hmm. or, you know, I've got this hammer. How should I use it? Where they're not really understanding that there, there is not a real nail in front of them that needs to be hit. So stepping back from what is easy, which is figuring out an iterative improvement to the product that you're building and going back to the base principles of the problems that you're trying to solve. I think that that underlies most of the problems that we see in product management is, is not having a clear understanding of the problem and not keeping constantly up to date with the definition of that problem. Those problems change over time. So making sure that that research is continual and iterative and going on. I think where a lot of product managers focus is in the, the definition of the solution. Why do we do that? Because it's the fun part. It's the creative part. It's the interesting part. It's the part that turns into something tangible that you can touch. It looks like action much more than research does because you're building something and creating something. But if you think about, again, like the expensiveness of an engineering team, the expensiveness of a design team, if you're pointing them even a few degrees off center from where they should be going, that's a really expensive error to make. So the measure twice, cut once philosophy applies in product management, just like it does in in most places. If you're disciplined about defining the problem and validating the solution that you're putting forth, the likelihood of you having a positive result at the end is much, much higher. Mm-hmm. Okay. How long is, you know, like this platform, User Voice? I mean, these type of platforms that are, you know, helping with product management. If technology wasn't around, mm-hmm. it would look very different, right? It would. Uh, you would be limited by time in a much more substantial way. Like the, the number of customers that you could talk to, the the, the number of interviews that you could do is just limited by the number of people and, you know, and clock time where if you've got always on listening going on, you're constantly collecting information. Six months ago, perhaps someone told you something that you weren't ready to work on. And if you had just done an interview or something like that, you might've forgotten, or that the, the person who conducted that interview may have moved on from the company and the knowledge went with them where if it's constantly captured in a research repository, you've got that available to you whenever you're ready to just search for something and see, you know, what, what have people said about this over the, the course of the past year? So without technology, without digital, your ability to do this kind of thing at scale is greatly reduced. And if you're doing research, um, I, I don't mean to discount the value in that research. Those one-on-one conversations are the highest fidelity thing that you can get. But it's often maybe five interviews you're doing or 10 interviews you're doing, and it's going to lead to recency bias, which isn't always wrong, but it's something to be mindful of as you're conducting those interviews. So I think that without a a continual mechanism to gather feedback and store it, you're forced to be a little bit more reactionary than strategic when sometimes you don't want to be. Right, I see. So you're kind of helping them along the way with the process. Yeah, and it's it's just one of a, a number of different tools that that product managers use and companies as a whole use to understand their market and what their best options are to do about it. Uh, behavioral analytics are another tool in a in any digital product. Watching what people do, watching what their pathways are, that's important to know. It's important to know where people are getting stuck, where people are spending their time. 
But those tools don't give you any emotional response. They don't let you see into the head of what people are thinking while they're doing it. So you need a, a qualitative complement to the quantitative information that you're gathering by using something like a behavioral analytics tool. Survey tools are important too. Crafting a good survey, mm-hmm. that's hard. That's its own uh, study in, in its own place. I think where, where we sit and, and we try to study is, is the freely offered information about stressors, desires, wants, and needs that that people offer up for you, that they're not... We, we try to look at surveys quite a bit and think about the, the mindset that people get into when they receive a survey. There's some amount of... I, I think in behavioral science, it's called the intention action gap. It's people will tell you what they think they will do, and that doesn't necessarily align with what they will actually do. So how can we try to de-risk some of the information that's coming into the organization that that is potentially misleading that you can get through surveys. And I, I think that the solution to that is not using our product or any other product. It's having a multifaceted approach to gathering information. So it, it kind of becomes a, a validating, a, a self-validating thing where you can compare one bit of research to another and seeing if if trends hold true in that data. I see. So if, if people use your platform, you know, how do they use it? Just explain the process. Yeah. Uh, when, when a customer gets started with us, the first thing that we ask them to do is distribute some of our internal feedback collection tools and start getting salespeople and success people. And we often try to encourage them to go to the loudest complainers, the people who say, yeah, the product team never does what we want them to do. They, they, they don't listen to us. Like, cool. We're listening to you. We have been all the time, by the way, but you know, here's a formal way for you to offer information to us. And if you start creating this continuous loop of conversation between something like a sales team and a product team and say, okay, thank you. You guys shared all this with us. It was really interesting. You objectively told us who told you this information that you passed along. I want to go talk to them. Can you connect me with them so we can get into a deeper conversation or Hey, salesperson, I know you told me this, but here's all of the product feedback we've gotten so far. And this is an outlier in all the feedback we're getting. It doesn't follow any of the other trends that we're seeing. So for now, we're not going to do anything about it, but keep your ears open and keep gathering that stuff. So first we try to start with internal teams and creating this more, uh, it, it has the side effect of educating an entire organization mm-hmm. about the process of product management and the way information like product feedback is evaluated and acted on within the organization. Building a roadmap. Yeah. Uh, how is a roadmap built and giving people visibility into all the, the steps that go into that and, and letting the organization be an active participant in that rather than feeling like the recipient of the work that the product team does. Depending on the comfort level of the organization from there, they may choose to open up product feedback to their customers directly. They may want to create a direct line of communication with their customer base. And they can do that in a variety of ways. They can create kind of an always on place in the application where someone says, hey, you know, do you have an idea to make the product better? Click this, tell us anything you want. That would be great. Sometimes we put up a product forum where people can include a link in their newsletter outreach and say, hey, come here, vote for any ideas that you like, add comments, add ideas. That would be excellent. We can even do it through email distribution where we just 
email the user base and say, hey, reply to this with anything that you think would improve the product. And we can use natural language processing and machine learning to pull out all the information. You know, oftentimes you'll get stuff that's like, I think your product is too expensive. That's not necessarily product functionality feedback, but is critically valuable information to the organization. So we can make sure that we send that off to the right people too, so that they can understand that stuff. That's usually the, you know, the first year or so of our, a customer's relationship with us is get, getting the team aligned around their customers, creating more customer centricity, understanding where they should and should not react to customer feedback and how to use it most effectively. Later on, we were, we're coaching people more into how to lean into the strategy of customer feedback, how to make the most of it. And when you go into, you know, deeper strategy conversations around the organization, using this, you know, year of rich information that you've gathered and really trying to squeeze the most power out of it that you can. Mm-hmm. Gosh, it's very detailed, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's sometimes overwhelming when we demo it to people, you know, people are just thinking like, yeah, I want to listen to my customers more. And we accidentally hit them over the head with all these powerful tools. <laughs> I'm not ready for that. I'm like, that's okay. We'll, we'll get you there. So which tools make user voice everyday function? What, what tools could you not live without? Oh gosh. I mean, we use user voice at user voice, of course. And if the people who work answering support tickets for us, if the people who work demoing our software stopped gathering all the feedback that they're getting from the demos that they do, from the tickets they're getting, et cetera, our product team would be adrift. Like they would be left to their own devices. They would need to go scramble. I I would probably need to hire more people to be able to conduct the amount of research that we would need to do to make the right decisions about where to deploy our designers, our engineering team, all of that stuff. I, I hadn't thought about this until you asked the question, but it, it, it's giving me a, like a small panic attack thinking about <laughs> trying to run the organization without the depth and richness of that information coming our way. Mm-hmm. And um, do you actually just build your own tools or do you, I mean, do you come up with your own tools or do you use standardized tools for SaaS platforms? We built our own. I mean, our, our product is a SaaS offering itself. So it's all, you know, we, we aim to make it very little effort on any of our customers to get things like up and running, like you're off to the races in a couple of days, uh, capturing feedback from your whole organization. So we build our own tools, but we also integrate with all the tools that people are already using. Behavioral analytics tools, CRM tools, anything that you use to, to watch customers. And then we've got rich APIs and import tools. So if you're you know doing a survey or something like that with SurveyMonkey or, or Qualtrics or Medallia or any of the other big surveying tools, that that information as it relates to the product itself can be ingested and, and all the same power that we can provide to directly capture feedback can be applied to things that are coming from other data sources too. Okay, interesting. And, and your clients, when they use user voice, how, what's the time period that they use it for? It's perpetual. I mean, it's, you know, just like for us, like the, the, the notion of doing without it is kind of tough. I mean, why would you stop listening to your customers? It seems like a, a mistake to make if you don't do that. So our, our tool is surprisingly inexpensive for what it does, at least I think. So it's not a huge cost center, but the value that it provides is is quite high in terms of the information that it gives you. So usually it takes people 
uh, four to six weeks to kind of get their legs underneath them with, you know, the newness of all this information coming their way and, and, you know, how to handle it, what to do with it, et cetera. But we're, we're kind of there to hold people's hands along the way. And then once after the race is often, it's, it's very gratifying that our customers will come to us and say, Hey, what do you guys think about this? And it's not about the software or the tool that we're providing. It's about the analysis of the data that they're getting in. Like, you know, how would you guys interpret this information? Where would you lean into it? And it becomes this oddly strategic relationship rather than just vendor customer uh, relationship that we have. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they're giving you feedback on how to provide a better service, basically. For sure. Uh, you know, do they, do they want us instead of building software tools to also provide some kind of consultative skill to say, what should you do about what you're hearing? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, I mean, obviously you're all working remotely. So, I mean, since the pandemic, has it been remote or were you remote before that? Yeah, no, we were uh, all, we were mostly in one of two offices in, in San Francisco and in Raleigh, North Carolina. When the, the pandemic started to go, I mean, for everyone's safety, we all, we all transitioned to start working from home. It turns out that our, our team likes that quite a bit. And there was this interesting parallel with our software in that we, we would always joke that even when we were all in offices, that the only time a product manager would get feedback that a salesperson had heard is when they run into each other in the hallway or they're, they're eating lunch or something mm. like that. Mm-hmm. But the ability to do that with the pandemic went away. So it became even more clear that when people are working on their own at home, outside of a central office location, the ability to stay in tight communication with other departments in the organization should be constant and easy in the same way that Slack and Microsoft Teams make that easy for people. It shouldn't be this once every quarter meeting where the the product team gets together with the sales team and says, hey, we're here to listen now for 30 minutes. Tell us what you've heard. It should just be as it comes in and, and constantly flowing. So by by switching to remote, it put in stark contrast to us the difference between working in an office and, and working remotely. And and that as a parallel for the silos of teams was was pretty impactful for us. Mm. We, I mean, if you're, you're setting by example, aren't you, really? We're trying to. I, I'm not going to use any of those cliches about companies using their own products. There's a, a lot of variety of that. But we do try to, to recognize when we're in a situation that mimics some of the the less ideal situations that our customers are often in and take advantage of that and learn as much as we can from it. Okay, great. And, um, you know, where is product management going? And, you know, we've we've come quite a long way now that we're sort of, you know, able to collect data and build these SaaS platforms for product management. But where are we coming from and where are we going with product management tools? Yeah, uh, I guess, you know, to date myself, I've been working in web-based software development since web-based software development was a thing. And over the years, the the notion of availability of software to a customer base has changed dramatically. It used to be very hard to build software. It used to be very hard to start a company. And now it is not. Uh, Every time you turn around, there's a new tool to try, you know, something new, something with nice design that takes a different approach to either a new problem or an old problem. So I think that where you used to be, you used to have the luxury of some time 
yeah. in order to make your plans and continue moving. You don't have that anymore. There's not only threats coming in from the competition you already know, but from the potential of people to build competing software very quickly that doesn't have the baggage that your product that's been around for 10, five, two years, not very long at all has. Because of that, I think it, it doesn't change our thesis, which is if you're connected with your customers and you really understand their problems and you're working to solve them, you're in good shape. Customers of products are becoming more sophisticated too. No one sticks with something that they are frustrated with or don't like because there will be another alternative out there for them. So I think it, it reaffirms to me the need for you to really empathize with your customers' problems and make sure you're actually solving them. Right. Okay. And for user voice, where, where do you see it going? We do uh, one thing really, really well, collect and analyze product feedback and share that across teams. We've always known that that is a part, and, and being a small company like ours, I, I don't want us to build survey software also, or behavioral analytics also, or customer success software also, because we would build a not very good version of that with the, the amount of resources that we've got. Mm. But I think that, you know, to put our money where our mouth is, we need to make sure that all of the systems that customer facing teams use are connected. So either through partnerships or, or through acquisition, I think it's important for user voice to be a part of an organization or a team of organizations that really handle the customer experience top to bottom. So we've been working on, on building those relationships uh, over the, the past year as well, you know, continuing to, to be best of breed in, in what we do as well. Right. But to work for, with a big organization. Uh, yeah, our part is necessary, but not sufficient in the customer relationship space. So, you know, I, I'm eager to, to join forces with other companies that we admire that I think are doing really good things when it comes to serving customers. Okay, great. For for such a small company, we have a shockingly large customer base of, of very big companies. And I'm grateful every day for the the trust that they put in us. But yeah, they're, they're all over the world. And uh, it's it's given us a really nice perspective on the evolution of product management over time. And it's, it's really been fun to watch. Wonderful. Well, it's been great talking to you, Matt. Um, enjoyed hearing about your a platform that, that um, is, you know, working with how to use product management tools today and, and help with sort of building products and how it's changing the game. Yeah, Katrina, I appreciate it. Um, it's it's definitely something that we're just going to continue to do our best on and hope that it, it benefits all of our customers and, and anyone that we can share good intel with, we will be happy to do it. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for your time today and, and look forward to you know seeing where user voice goes in the future for product management. Excellent. Thank you. you enjoyed this edition of tied together if you have any comments or you have any feedback for us you can always email us at tied together at cohesis.co.uk